Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Scott McCready, who is the CEO of Soul Cyber Managed Security Services. Scott has worked um, in the industry for many years. He's been in leadership roles at IBM and EDS, where he held the security engineer and team leader positions, both in U.S. and London. Previous to Soul Cyber, uh, Scott built the Asia-Pacific Japan business, APJ business, at Symantec. He ran the uh, Global Managed Security Service and the Symantec and Accenture joint venture. That's uh, some pretty interesting stuff that I want to talk about because I spent a lot of time out there myself. Um, Scott also worked at FireEye pre-IPO and created their global managed, uh, managed security services. We're going to talk about talk to Scott about managed security services and you know why companies want to outsource those services and when does it make sense. But before we do that, I want to say hi to Scott. Scott, how are you today? Hey, Mark. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm up in the cold, dark, rainy uh, Pacific Northwest. Whereabouts are you located? I'm in Dallas right now. So uh, I spend most of my time here. Uh, grew up here. And then I, I left for about 15, 20 years. So yeah, I spent some time in London, uh, Sydney, Singapore, uh, DC. Uh, so recently moved back about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, I did notice that you have quite a bit of international experience. Um, specifically, the thing that stood out to me is your your time in APJ. Um, what what was your what was that like? It, well, first of all, it's fantastic. Um, Asia just has an energy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my first exposure when I was in university. There, you ran a really interesting program where uh, they would send kids overseas uh, for a variety of things, um, and they had a uh, thing in Bangkok where you'd go wow. over and you teach kids English. Um, sometimes as monks, uh, sometimes as disadvantaged kids. Uh, and so I got to spend a year in Bangkok when I was uh, between my junior and senior year in university. Wow, what and a I great think experience! Oh, it was so good. Uh, if if you uh, if uh, I still speak Thai, so if uh, if you ever want wow. to go to Thailand and uh, know the know the good restaurants and the fun places to go, happy to <laughs> happy to give you some recommendations. Yeah, Swati Cup. Yeah, very well done. Um, <laughs> it's it's such a great place. But you know how when yeah. you do something like that, it gets in your blood a little bit. And uh, you know, I just loved Asia. I love the the energy, uh, it's booming, it was fast growing. And so I got the opportunity to go back uh, with Symantec and build their APJ business, their managed security mm-hmm. services there. Built a SOC in Sydney, one in Tokyo and one in Chennai, India. And uh, it was just, you know, a great experience. Uh, I, I've used this joke many times, but, you know, living in Sydney, Australia, running APJ is, is about as good a job as you're ever, as, as you're ever going to get. Um, and so, uh, you know, leaving to go run the global business was a little bit, um, was a little bit tough. It was a great opportunity, so I couldn't turn it down. But uh, it was it was a really beautiful uh, place to live, and and you know it's just a, it's just fast paced, right? So there's always something happening in Asia, so it was it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I spent off and on about 20 years in Asia myself, and uh, the last five years were, were in Japan, and loved it, and was mm-hmm. there with my family. It's a great experience, and the energy level, like you said, especially in places like Singapore and Hong Kong, yeah. China. I mean, up until the, well, recently, obviously, the, you know, the yeah. whole world's had problems, but it's just the 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 rate of change, the pace of change and development, and the eagerness 
to adopt uh, new technologies and new processes. It was super super fun to be in that that that, that type of environment. So how how was it for you to uh, to come back to the to U.S. and Dallas after all that international exposure? Well, I mean, so Soul Cyber is is it's it's like anytime you you have a startup and a founder and and you're trying to build a company, it's just sort of all encompassing and all consuming. So it's it's a blast. And all my family's in Dallas and my folks are here, uh, brothers here. Uh, so that part's all all great. I, I will say I totally miss the international travel. You, you know, yeah. brother now is work or otherwise <laughs> it's been a crazy two or three years as we all know. Uh, but you know, I definitely miss uh, the food, the people. I've got a ton of friends in Asia still. Uh, and then you know, Soul Cyber will end up over there when the time is right. So we'll we'll be back. But uh, uh, I definitely well, well, miss- well, let me know. Let me know when you're starting to <laughs> to knock on Asia's door, and uh, you know, maybe we can collaborate a little bit. Uh. <laughs> well, Mark, you know, it's funny because there are very few uh, Americans really that that spend time uh, internationally these days. You know, we're we're one of the only yeah. countries that has global taxation, uh, and so it's 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 just a pain for Americans to do it. So you sort of have to really be committed to the cause. Um, it's not like it's drudgery or it's a trial, but uh, you know, kudos to you because I don't run into that many Americans that have spent significant time you know, overseas. So uh, happy, well, thank to, you. Happy, to, happy to compare notes and figure out what we can both learn. Sure, and then one one more note on that thing, and then we'll get into uh, to what you do at Soul Cyber. But uh, it's interesting because <clears throat> when I first went to Asia, you know, there were a lot more expats. Uh, I, I I should say, yeah, def, just just expats because companies um, they they would t- typically bring somebody from the mothership out to Asia and yep. and position them there. And in the last you know fifteen twenty years, you have so many really smart, bright, well educated, um, experienced you know executives in Asia who were born and raised there and maybe maybe spent time overseas getting educated mm-hmm. that a lot of companies have you know just done away with the whole expat thing and once you're kind of on equal footing the attractiveness for a lot of people with families and things like that it just makes it a little bit more challenging to say for example go live in Tokyo or something like that yeah 100% right it's, it's there, there's a layer of um, burden right when you when you go do that and in the old days as you mentioned I had friends that were um, expat assignments, that, those were taken away and eased through the company, you know, mechanizations that they'd set up. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, companies don't really do that very much anymore. So it's really upon an incumbent upon the family uh, to sort of yeah. figure it out. Uh, yeah. And and it's too bad because I really do think it's a massive benefit. Uh, I, I'll be upfront. I think part of the reason why my career has gone as well as it has is because I spent a lot of time overseas and I got to mm-hmm. You just can't replace the learnings of dealing with different cultures, different people, different ways of doing things, different creative ideas. Like it just, there's a level of um, learning and experience that comes out of that that you just can't replace. So I, I wish the companies would get back into the model because it's good investment. I stayed at Symantec 12 years, which is forever in the security space because of the opportunities they gave to me. That's uh, that's awesome, and you're kind of preaching to the choir because I, I totally believe that like the the experience overseas is is invaluable. Mm-hmm. But um, so hey, so tell me, like, how did you go from you know these global organizations and working with very large customers to creating a managed services provider that focuses on startups and SMEs? Well, it's funny because. For for all these years in the MSSP business, whether or not it was Symantec or FireEye or otherwise, you would we would always bump into the mid market. So there, you know, every year when you're working on your strategies, you're saying, well, you know, do we continue to focus on the global 1000? Do we, you know, is there another uh, cohort to go, you know, look after that we could support and provide value to? And invariably, those that conversation would end up 
with us saying it it doesn't really make sense to support the mid market, and we would list out the reasons why. And um, it, you sort of know this, and this is a very stereotypical like uh, construct, but it, it's for for brevity, it probably works. But the standard MSSP mo model is. Um, you have a very smart CIO and CISO at a large company. They have security people built uh, into the organization, and they go through the 4,500 security products that are on the market, and they pick out all the ones that work for them, right? So they do their POCs, and they test the endpoint, they test email, they test all these things, right? And after that's done, they take the data feed, and they send that over to the MSSP. And then the MSSP is relatively arm's length away from the customer, and they send sort of alerts back and sometimes the alerts are really helpful and, and you can find something you know malicious and a lot of times it's just sort of noise <clears throat> because you can't really tell what's happening and that model quickly starts breaking down in the mid-market you know, the mid-market um, oftentimes doesn't have the staff to work through sophisticated POCs or man even managing the technology um, a lot of times to get the best-in-class technology a lot of the technology isn't sold below 2000 user companies because they're all focused on upper mid-market and large enterprise uh, a lot of times they don't have any kind of managed security service because it's not cost effective uh, for the mssp to deliver services to a mid-market customer that has let's just say 500 employees so there's all these challenges and so after doing this for you know 20 years i said well can we go solve those challenges and if if we can solve those challenges then i think there's a market there because the the attack landscape has changed so the mid-market is being targeted as aggressively, if not more so, than the large enterprises in today's world, because, you know, as you know very well, it's sort of threat as a service, right? So you don't have to be sophisticated to be able to attack companies anymore. Uh, you've got an entire ecosystem built up to allow relatively nominally technically people to make money through cyber attacks. And so it's very easy to target mid-market companies. <clears throat> and so... Once we sort of figured out, we think we can solve these problems in today's world, and we think the mid-market cares enough to want to solve these problems, uh, then we thought we were on to something. We thought, okay, if we can do this well, um, then we start solving what I call the four value props, right? So you start saying, let's go to the mid-market and say, um, I call it certainty or removing uncertainty. Almost everybody in the mid-market used to say, if, if, you, if you're not breached today and you got breached tomorrow, what's your confidence level that you would know? Mm -hmm. There are very few people in the SME space that are like 90%, 85%. Most of them are like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd know, and I don't know how long it would take to find out. And we all know that, generally speaking, the adversary is in an organization for 45 days plus, and that's because uh, it's hard to find them. So mm -hmm. we, wanted to enable, we wanted to enable certainty. Um, we wanted to make their lives easier financially. And so almost every security product you have to pay up front. And so to have a basic security program that's even – what I'd say foundational. Uh, you need about seven or eight different pieces of tools and services. Uh, each of those are upfront payments. So there's 20K for this and 50K for that and 70K for this and 10K for this other thing. Uh, and so that model is very painful for the mid-market. It's not the way they really want to operate. They don't like upfront payments. And so we said, can we make their lives better by putting a financial package in place that's much more streamlined and, and sort of OPEX monthly? Um, so can we can we hide that fiscal pain and structure? Um, and then can we do that in a model that allows them to consolidate these eight or nine things into one single SKU? Um, and then last, if we do that, can we make it cheaper than them having to go out and solve this problem themselves? And, makes, and go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, that's it. I, I was going to say it, it makes a lot of sense. And um, depending depending on how you define SME, I mean, I, I, how small do you go? 
Uh, we go down, we target about 100 to about 2,000, but we have customers that are down around 50 users. Okay, and then if you're dealing with startups, obviously you have probably in anywhere from, you know, 10 to, to 50 or, you know, roughly in that area there. Um, when you say that the, there's like seven or eight tools that typically companies would have to go out and, you know, buy and then deploy, but you're going ahead, you know, you're kind of bundling them together or bundling that service together. What what are some of those key tools? Sure. Uh, we call it the six, it's the six components of foundation and there's seven or eight tools inside of that. But the first thing you have to do is um, we just call it harden the organization. So that's uh, security awareness, phishing simulation. This is something anybody can go buy, uh, even down market. Um, but the reality is we have a lot of customers that buy it. So you, they can go buy a note before or whatever, but they don't run it consistently because they don't have the time. So maybe once a year, they'll lob a phishing simulation out or at the last minute, they'll kick off security awareness training. So it's not run in a programmatic manner. And it's definitely not using best in class. Uh, you know, the latest, like, what are the latest fishes that we all know work really well without that uh, versus the ones that were a year or two ago that everybody sort of caught on to. Um, the second piece then is you really need advanced email protection. And and everybody thinks they have it, but what most people actually have is, is email hygiene. So what they're doing is they're keeping out the obvious spam. Uh, what they're not in a position to do is advanced account takeover and business email compromise. Uh, and so if somebody log gets username and credentials of, of Scott McCready, uh, they can log in as me and obviously emulate me and then do all kinds of nefarious things. They can send out um, emails to employees to get them to click on links. They can get wire transfers, which is usually what happens. Um, and we see a lot and a significant number of breaches with legitimate uh, username password into email that results in hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of of problems in ransom in ransomware or uh, you know wire transfers. Uh, so we, you really have to have something that's different than uh, email hygiene. Uh, the third thing is you actually need a really proper EPP and EDR, like best in class. Um, and this handles the malicious side of the of the equation. So if somebody's dropping something on your machine, uh, you need something that is highly effective at finding and detecting that and then allowing the SOC operators to respond to it. So the detect and respond from a malicious standpoint is needed. Um, the other thing that's needed, which is almost always universally missed, is you need some ability to solve the threat, again, going back to legitimate username and password. So if somebody logs in as Scott McCready and they start moving around the network, maybe they're going to raise their privilege, you know, escalate their privileges, um, how do you detect that? How do you know that Scott McCready that's currently doing work at Scott McCready isn't actually the real Scott McCready? Uh, so you need some level of uh, lateral movement detection, you need some level of user behavioral analysis, and these things are really tricky and complicated uh, for the mid-market, <laughs> and so it's not something that they tend to land on, but a significant amount of the actual, you know, if you take the Pareto principle 80-20, um, a significant amount of the severe attacks start with, um, you know, legitimate username and password. So somebody clicked on a link, went to a website, put their username and password in, now they've been harvested or they got released on the dark web, so you, know, you know the models. Uh, and people just don't, they, they think everybody's going to click on a bad link and get a piece of malicious code, a zero day onto their machine. And that's, in today's world, that's not really as big of a threat as um, legitimate access. And then all that's got to be rolled into a SOC. Uh, and so um, what we do is we provide that entire stack and it's all best and breed stuff. It's, it's literally all the stuff that we used for years at, you know, the global 1000. Uh, if we rolled into any large bank and said, this is what we're using, they're like, yep, that's all the best stuff out there. Uh, and then we package that 
uh, per user per month. And so it starts at $57 per user per month. Uh, and that gets you everything. And then it goes down based on bands. Uh, and customers love it. That's your installation cost. That's your licensing. That's all your management of the platform. Uh, that's your detection. And that's your response, right? So if something bad's happening, we feel really strongly that there, we have a very, 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 very high chance we're going to detect it. Uh, and if we detect it, we can respond to it. And so if you're, you know, 100 employees or 500 or 1,000, you now have an integrated um, active defense program in place um, that has a set of people that do it for a living that, that um, really know how this stuff works. And they love it. And, and it also puts us closer in contact with the customer. So this arm's length relationship changes quite a bit uh, because um, of the tooling that we use and how we've integrated it. It allows us to have a lot better visibility into, hey, this problem is really Scott McCready and it's not IP address 192.168, and we think something's going on there, can you go investigate? Which is really what a lot of the alerts that were coming out of the systems, you know, that I ran for years. Uh, and at the time that was great, but in today's world, that's not sufficient. So we really we really try to get back to the user, the identity, uh, and make sure that we can respond to the ex actual problem. No, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think, you know, most small, medium-sized businesses, and especially startups, they're so focused on their core business they really don't have the the bandwidth or oftentimes just the the desire to spend time on IT related issues and 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 really get into especially security. I mean everybody will say it's important. Yep. But when you know when you talk to founders of startups they'll say it's important but really they're they're focused on their product or their service and you know and and, and not and, going out of business, right? Exactly, exactly. And so if you've got a, a basically it sounds like a turnkey approach where you you can have those seven or eight nine different tools and things built in and you just hey flip the switch and we're good to go. That that sounds awesome. I really I like the fact that you started off with um security awareness as kind of the foundational piece of that too because you know that is the the weakest link in everybody's uh basically security posture is just having people be aware of what the potential threats are and what they should do if they if they see something that looks just a little off. Um, let me Mark, ask you, though. On that topic, real quick, Go it's ahead. funny sure. that you say that because when we're talking to customers, they view that as, um, huh, is that really that big a deal? But when I talk to security practitioners, in fact, I did a, I have this thing called security shorts with Scott that are like five-minute sound bites with security, security practitioners. And uh, one of the latest people came on and said, people don't do their phishing simulation security awareness training well. And it just starts an entire chain, <laughs> chain link of problems inside the organization. Uh, and it's a relatively straightforward thing. And so we have companies that literally go, we can do it. It doesn't make any sense for us to do it. We don't, we don't that's not where we want to spend our time. Hmm. Yep. Well, I, I, I don't know, because I mean, I, you, we all have seen the stories of people who have just clicked on the wrong thing, or yep. it's not even just clicking. It's like, I mean, you referenced earlier where if somebody's credentials um, are compromised and then they are able to, even, even if the credentials aren't compromised, sometimes they just, um, you know, do something that says Scott McCready, CEO, and it's just a, you know, an iteration of your, of your email address and, and send an, send an email to a new hire saying, Hey, um, I urgently need you to do this for me. Go out and buy, you know, 50 gift cards and for this uh, company event and boom, the new employee goes, Oh God, the CEO, you know, I gotta go. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's stuff like that. And it, it's funny because, you know, I've got, I, I have three boys and they, you know they're they're digital natives. They yes. have a, a healthy dose of skepticism or cynicism with everything that they receive via social media, email, or whatever. But I think there's a lot of people out in the workforce 
that didn't grow up, you know, under That's right. the whole idea of cybersecurity. Is, it, it's something that, you know, when, when I was growing up, there was no such thing, right? right. <laughs> Nothing, not, not in the public domain anyway. So the education piece is critical and people, I mean, people need to know too, like number one question, if you have something that you're not sure about, who do you go to? You know, I mean, who, who do you, where do you raise your hand? And if you, you know, if you're in a startup or in your SME, I, you know, you're a small manufacturing company, you get this email and you're like, okay, uh, what should I do with this? Well, you should definitely do something. There should be kind of a, a process, right? Mark, you, you're right on the, you're right on the nose there because, uh, you know, we talk about people process and technology all the time. And handedly, uh, when we're talking with customers, usually it's the integration of all the technologies that they're, that they like, um, mm -hmm. But the savvy folks know that it's the process as much as all of those pieces that make it all run properly. And so we talk to people all the time saying, yeah, we have really amazing capabilities to d detect um, harvested credentials. That being said, if you get something funny, you always pick up the phone and call the person. Uh, it doesn't matter. And you can imagine in our company, we get all kinds of people throwing stuff at us. And the, the team knows and we train the team that you know you send, you, you get on the phone, you call Scott, right? If you're seeing, right. and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're an intern or a BDR or whatever, right? Nothing, nothing happens when you get an urgent requests from executives. Totally, totally agree. Hey, um, so, but back to actually on this kind of the same line there, um, when your customer, so you're providing these services and you do, do detect some kind of anomalous behavior or some kind of strange activity, um, and then you relay that information to them. Walk me through that process in terms of do you advise them on here are the next things that you should be doing? I mean, how does that how does that conversation play out? Yeah, I love this question because it really goes to why our customers love us is that so the old model was something like we would just shoot you a, a you know, an email, right, or, or alert in the portal and say, we think this is what's going on. But it was always hard to really tell uh, in our model we have way more fidelity. And so think of it as different types of incidents. Um, so let's just say that uh, there's a malicious piece of code that actually gets dropped onto somebody's machine for some reason, and we're going to detect that. Um, depending on what that is, we'll respond to it. We'll, if we can put the process back that, you know, if we see the process has been changed, we can, we can put it back. Um, we can remove the piece of malicious code. Um, we'll do it. We'll just uh, so most of our customers give us uh, you know permission to go do that. Some customers say no, contact us first, then do it. Uh, but we will actually do the work of of solving the the problem as a step one. Um, now there are certain things that we 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 technically can't do. So let's just say let's go back to the harvested credentials example. So based on the user behavioral analysis and some the, and the customer you know tripping some tripwires. Uh, we now know with pretty good confidence that Scott McCready's been been compromised, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't have access to their username and password, their domain. Um, we get data off their domain controllers. Um, so we do the identity correlation, but we wouldn't obviously be able to change their username and password. So in that particular case, yeah, we call the customer and say, hey, it looks very likely this is the case. Um, check your MFA, see why it's not working, and also obviously uh, change Scott's username and password. password. Um, and so then the third thing, so those are those. Are, so so we always try to validate. And the third thing then is we do what you know. You're familiar with the term hunting, but a lot of customers may not be. Is 
Um, things come out all the time, and uh, last year had more zero days than the, the previous three years <laughs> combined. So when when new stuff happens, right, log4j or whatever, we have the ability to go go back and hunt. So we hunt through logs, uh, generally speaking, about weekly, looking for things that have changed. You know, is there a diff in processes that for that's not that just hasn't been seen, right? For this process, we know processes shouldn't change, um, and if there's a different processes. Um, and then we can do what's what's needed there. So we can come back and say, listen, we're going to quarantine that machine for you right now. That needs to be rolled back. Uh, so um, the the ability to really get into the uh, where at all possible into specifics and actually solve the problem is a real big differentiator and the customers love it. So there's a lot less what we call alert fatigue and just sort of alerts coming across the fence and a lot more. Um, and this goes back also to the philosophy, Mark, of, of of getting to user right so there's mm -hmm. there's just a lot more like we can see where the problem is with the person and their machine and their identity versus again rotating ip addresses which is what you used to see before and so that gives us the ability to solve problems at, at root versus you know what you see uh, in a traditional mssp model makes a lot of sense hey what about customers? I mean, pretty much everybody these days is on Office 365, right? And yep. uh, or now it's M365. There are a lot of security controls and you know data protection tools that are that are kind of baked into that platform. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm sure that most of your customers say, "Hey, well, they 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 have a O365. Maybe they don't have the expertise to kind of optimize the security settings. Do you mm -hmm. work with them uh, to help them do that?" Yeah, so it's it's um, it's funny you ask. We actually have this thing in the portal that's called "If You Have Five Minutes." Okay. <laughs> and and uh, so in the in their portal, uh, they have they have that. And so, first of all, I agree with you. Probably eighty percent of our customers are you know some version of M M three sixty five, and candidly, it's a they do a great job. The the telemetry we get off of um, you know Azure AD and the components there is fantastic, and it really allows um, us to track the identity and correlate that back into the tools that we use. Uh, but uh, whatever, let's just say they haven't turned MFA on or something like that, right? Which mm -hmm. you know is not uncommon and obviously needs to be done. Um, we actually completely recommend a variety of things. And again, we put we put it in our so we have quarterly review calls with every customer, and they mm -hmm. get a monthly report. And so we we put all those things there, and then we drop it into the portal of if you have five minutes. Um, and so there's a variety of things that we'll know that are best best practices, uh, and we'll. Uh, work with the customers, get those turned on. And so some of the things um, we can do, um, some of the things they need to do, but we can sort of tell them how to do it. Um, and some of them are, if it's really complicated, they need somebody to go on site. Um, we'll we'll work with somebody to, to get on site. So a lot of them will have an MSP they work with, or we've got people that we work with um, that if they need somebody like hands on keyboard to go, you know, turn a turn a screw, right? Um, we can we can help them with that. But yes, to your point, we really do try to. Uh, we call it how do you provide value in peacetime because the whole theory is that you know every day somebody's trying to break into xyz company and we're just like fighting them tooth and nail <laughs> you know that's not really the way it works um it's really more that stuff happens sort of in bursts uh, we see companies get sort of probed and attacked in, in cycles and between those what you're trying to do is continue to up level their posture right so why is your fishing why is your fishing simulation score going down right why did you have 85 percent people doing well, 90%, 95%, and then it turned around and went down to 75%. Um, you know, you, you just bought E5, right? These are some of the things you can turn on there to really, you know, increase your security, things like that. Awesome. I, I love that. Providing value in peacetime. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that from you. All right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> Feel free.
That's pretty cool. Hey, uh, what about uh, mobile device management? I mean, do you help out in that area at all? No, we don't really. And the reason is, is MTM uh, has changed a lot over the last three or four years. And what we've seen, especially in the mid-market, is that companies don't really want to manage the mobile devices. I think in the large enterprise, maybe you're still seeing that that trend, but um, I can't think of a company I've talked to in the last year, year and a half that has been like, I, uh, you know, I've got 200 employees, I'm going to send them phones or or they all said they're going to bring their personal device. And as soon as you say that, the company's like, I don't want to manage those personal devices. Okay, makes makes yeah. sense. Uh, I, I've seen other situations where, uh, you know, whether it's a personal device or company device, the company wants some control over the company data, even if it's a personal device. Um, and some some of the MDM solutions allow for that. But again, that's I haven't seen that in the managed service space, which is why I was asking. Mm -hmm. um, to, to walk me through a typical business conversation, when you go in and, and, and talk to one of your prospective customers, what are their biggest concerns? So it depends on the company. Uh, so there's probably three overarching sort of prospects out there. Uh, the first one is uh, they have a a thing <laughs> that's a problem. Call it, it could be compliance, right? It could be, hey, we're we're a fintech startup, right? And and we got to do something uh, for the government. It, we're 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 healthcare startup. We got HIPAA. So the first one is they've got a thing that they need to go solve and they know that security is going to do it. Um, another thing that they need to go solve is cyber insurance. Um, so Mark, one of the things we did, it took us about a year, uh, but because we're so outcome driven, so imagine if you're a company and you've gone and had to buy all these eight things and theoretically stitch them together uh, and then go buy your MSSP. So you do it all, you build it all yourself, right? Um, the, the insurance companies will give you a little bit of discount, but you sort of have to prove it and they're not mm -hmm. going to give you that much discount. And the process is incredibly painful to do that. Um, and your, your premium spike is still going to go up. We went to the insurance industry and we said, um, we're providing world-class, best-class, nation-state grade security to the mid-market. You should reward them for, for doing that. And the insurance industry at first was a little skeptical, but once they got into it, they were like, we love this because now we have a third party um, that is um, providing a consistent set of solutions that we know are highly effective. And so um, we don't sell cyber insurance, uh, but any of our customers who use our foundational coverage um, are pre-approved. Uh, so if you've been breached, we've got customers that have been breached that have come to us. Uh, they can and they can't get cyber insurance. They can with us. Um, so you get your pre-approved. You have an expedited application. So the 500 questions is skinny down to 30. Uh, you get a 30% discount. And you get a 10% rebate. And so um, and and that's and you can use your own broker. So their broker goes to the plan administrator. Plan administrator contacts us. Ask if they actually purchase the service. We say yes, uh, and then they get uh, their quote. Uh, and so. We're really trying to make like the CIO and the CISOs or the head of IT's life way easier by building this sinew between the security program um, because they're in the middle of all this and the and these other compelling events that happen, these other quote unquote things, uh, whether or not it's uh, cyber insurance or compliance or something like that. And so um, to answer your first one, the first prospect tends to have um, a driving need uh, and they'll and they'll find us. So let me let me. Does that make sense? By the way, um, because there's two others, but uh, let me pause. Well, the, totally. And the the insurance, the cyber insurance thing is becoming uh, increasingly important from from what I see. And also, you, you're right, or I, I can agree with you that um, 
a lot of uh, insurance companies are providing more substantial discounts based upon you know what you've invested in your security posture and what you can kind of prove. And if you can outsource that proof to an MSP, MSSP, then um, great. Yep. And so that that piece goes really well. Uh, the second one is what I just called the good security person, right? They they were recently hired, or they they know that they don't know if something bad's happening. Right, they don't have the tools, the people, the processes. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Maybe they've got one or two tools. Uh, they're trying to manage it as best they can. Uh, so we get a lot of those people, which is just like we know we're not where we need to be. We need to be better. Um, we're never going to get there on our own. So we love your model. Um, so that's the second second type of person. Um, and then the the third type of person, um, and we just had this conversation, which is the savvy buyer, right? Security savvy, super savvy. Um, really understands what it takes to have good security practice may have actually quite a few pieces themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and what they're saying is, you know, I can continue to, you know, pick your tool, your best in class tool. I can continue down this path, uh, but it's expensive. Um, it's upfront payments. There's no vendor consolidation. And it makes a lot more sense to save the money, pay monthly and, and make sure that this thing's hung together really, really well versus me trying to make sure it's hung together. So instead of our eight things, maybe they have five things, but you know, Bob or Susie are over there trying to make sure it's all working together and it's difficult and they sort of know it. So the second one, the third person is what I'd call the very uh, savvy security buyer. And you see this a lot at like uh, what I'd call the series A or series B level startup. You know, So maybe they have a hundred people. They're like, we got to do better on security. We're, we're, we're becoming a target. We're too well known. Uh, maybe we're going to be acquired, and uh, they're like, and, and they're very technically savvy, so they get it. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, I I see that a lot. Um, what um, when uh, when you're talking with your customers, what kind of process do you have to help them kind of understand what their current spend is because i mean if you if you if you're going to take something from okay from what we're currently doing and we're going to outsource it you have to do some kind of cost benefit analysis do you have some kind of process or tool to help them with that we do and there's uh, basically two models uh, so we've all purchased this stuff <laughs> at some point in time in the past uh, so we literally went through uh, all the contracts that we've had and we pulled out our pricing and so we have what we call street pricing, real street pricing uh, for the different tools. And so we'll be like, if you're 500 seats and you have an endpoint, you're probably paying around this. And we are usually within a really, well, we're usually really close to what they're paying uh, for, the, for the underlying tool. And that's the first way. Uh, but we have some customers that uh, we'll just literally say, you know, we're happy to build a model for you uh, and we'll do a zero cost or, or a cost reduction because usually by the time, if they have a lot of the tools, um, it's usually uh, much more cost effective to go with us. Um, and so we'll just build a model. Uh, so we have, a, you know, obviously a template that we use that says, okay, let's just plug in when your when your contracts are due, how much you're paying, blah, blah, blah. We'll do, we'll run the math and come back to you. And then we can also do a, uh, um, a cyber insurance quote as well and just do, you know, an apples to apples comparison. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I think another benefit to you know working with a managed services provider is just you know when you when you talk about these different tools finding the subject matter experts in today's labor market mm -hmm. is can be very challenging um is that something that comes up 
Yes, it is. It, so especially in the mid-market, most of the companies, we talked to a company that's 500 employees. They have one senior guy and one another guy for arms and legs, right? And so two people supporting 500 employees, uh, IT, security, servers, the product, right? All of it, they're just, they're like, and, and it, they're like, it doesn't make sense to hire someone. And by the way, as you know, in the current market with the cost of people, um, just hiring one person is a very expensive endeavor. And yeah, so absolutely. most of the right. people really wanting to get the people focused on the product Unless that, I said, does anybody want to wake up in the morning and go try to look at alerts in some sort of system they got somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> no, and nobody says yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, uh, what can you tell us about Soul Cyber in terms of where you're at with the uh, the growth of the business? Uh, you know, geographies, customers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we are. We've been uh, business has been really good. Obviously, the economic uh, situation is getting a little. A little more dicey out there, but so far for us, it's been we haven't seen a um, significant impact. Uh, no, we're pretty new, uh, Mark. So we we launched uh, out of um, out of stealth uh, a little bit over a year ago, year and you know three months ago or so. Uh, we've been growing double digits every quarter, uh, so growth has been very very solid. Um, our customers range anywhere from you know. 50 users. Uh, most of our customers are probably, you know, above that in the 100 user range, uh, and then they go up, up from there. Um, we, we've got lots of conversations going with customers in the 2,000 range, 5,000 seat range, but we really try to target under 2,000 seats. Um, mm -hmm. It's really where we try to target. And, and uh, how are you, how are you finding your customers? Are they reaching out to you online, or you have an outbound sales team? Or how's that working? Yeah, great question. So. Uh, it's weird and it probably won't stay this way, but we are almost a third, a third, a third. And so a third of our revenues come from inbound leads, uh, website contacts, you know, contact us. Uh, a third of our revenue has come from partners that have found us deals. Um, they're like, man, we love, we love you and we know a, t a company that needs what you have. Uh, and then a third is through uh, outbound. And so right now, and I, I Will that stay at that mix, which is a really nice mix for us? I'm not sure. Um, we're going to try to put a little bit more uh, focus on the partnerships uh, this upcoming year. So we'd like to see that number go up. But so far, that's where we, uh, yeah, it's, it's a rel relatively consistent split amongst the three channels. Awesome. And you mentioned the, you know, the, the economic situation. Sometimes during a recession, that's, I mean, it, it can be an opportunity for uh, managed service providers because companies are looking to say, hey, let's focus on our core business and spin off anything that's kind of on the periphery to to somebody that can that is a specialist and, and can probably do it in a, in a more affordable way. Are you seeing any of that at all? Not yet. Uh, I have seen that in the past. So this is uh, my third one, I guess, 2000, 2008. Now, um, each one's different. Uh, it, but you do see companies take uh, a more pragmatic view of what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, so there's a usually what I see is the conversation switches from we really, really, really need good security to um, yeah, we do. But can you save us money? <laughs> right. Um, and so the the dollars and cents and really putting pen to paper um, goes up during these types of models and if you can uh, or during these types of uh, situations but if you can get your models right uh, then I believe you can continue to have success which is obviously what we're trying to do we're trying to again we're trying to make the life easy for the CIO and the CISO um, and make you know we're trying to make this we call it all the time we say we're trying to make this as no-brainer uh, because we're all security geeks and so we're just trying to make you know obviously we want to build our company and all that but 
uh, if we can get this into everybody's hands in a way that's like, ah, oh, it doesn't even make sense to say no to this, uh, then, you know, we're sort of doing our job well. Yeah, in, in your role as CEO, I mean, obviously you're very much focused on the profitability of the business and growing the business. Mm -hmm. um, but but a part of that is making sure that you have the right kind of service mix. Um, how do you, how do you, you know, kind of what's the process for updating your, your service mix or is it pretty much set right now? Uh, well, it's funny. Um, it's not. So um, our core products are foundational coverage, and that's what we talked about. Uh, we have these items called extended coverages. So foundational coverage is basically any company out there, you got to be able to protect a user no matter where they go, right? So just consider that, you know, called table stakes or foundational. But we have a lot of companies that are in the startup space. So we have extended extended options uh, that customers can buy. Maybe, they're, maybe their product is a really heavy cloud product. So the ability to do really sophisticated security in, in the cloud are things that we sell as add-ons. Uh, that being said, foundational coverage itself, we update about every six months. Uh, so the last update we added um, in some really sophisticated user behavioral analysis because we didn't think that what we were doing was quite good enough if, if somebody sophisticated was getting into the organization. Um, and we added in the ability, we were starting to see more and more companies want us to take in and say, hey, Scott, can you take in these couple firewalls? So we added in uh, EPS, a small, uh, you know, 10 EPS uh, into the bucket. Um, so that, and if you're a foundational coverage, you now get that. You can take advantage of that, no additional cost. Um, our next um, our next round of roadmap items is we're going to launch a practical vulnerability management service. Uh, so again, you can, everybody, everybody is trying to figure out how to solve that in an elegant manner. Um, that will be included. Um, we're um, also wait, wait, most like- can you, can you just, Talk a little bit about when you say practical practical vulnerability management. How do you define that? Uh, the easiest or the simplest way we can get into a ton of details, but I think you'll get it. Is you're saying is there a vulnerability? Is there an exploit? Um, and do you have the thing in 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 across those two things? Do you have something in your infrastructure <laughs> that that turns this thing into a from a theoretical into a bullseye? Uh, so we know that what is it? Ninety percent of vulnerabilities, you know notifications just sort of sit there because people don't want to patch them because they're not deemed sufficiently scary enough. Um, what we're trying to do is bubble up the stuff that really matters mm -hmm. and make sure that that stuff gets, that gets cleaned up. Excellent. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's something that, yeah, m very much needed. Mm -hmm. And so that's coming. And then we're trying to figure out how to get better um, network telemetry off the um, laptops so that we can actually cross correlate back to some of our, we have some really nice threat intel. Uh, so if new command controls, new DNSs, uh, um, you know, uh, domain names are, are, are being stood up, um, how, do we, how do we qualify that back to uh, the actual underlying user? So back in the day, obviously, when everybody's in a headquarters or an office, you could do that through their networking gear. Um, but if, if you, know, you have 300 employees and every one of them works from the house, um, if something flips through the cracks and maybe there's, you know, it doesn't get picked up by one of the tools, which can happen, right? We all, we, we, somebody once told me, no, sorry, I'll, I'll take it back. Um, not someone. Um, but so on my on my board is General Keith Alexander, who started U.S. Cyber Command. And I asked him once. I said, "What's the how? What is the U.S.'s success rate at getting into an into another organization?" He said, "100 um, percent." So we know that there's ways of getting in around these tools. And what we're trying to say is, can we detect um, if something like that were to happen? If, if there's ways of getting in, so we're trying to figure out how to get. Um, better network telemetry off the laptops um, that people have so that we can have another layer of uh, visibility um, in case something gets in that 
candidly, we don't know about, which, you know, we're, we work in the security space. We, <laughs> that's, that's the job of the adversaries to figure that stuff out. So uh, those are, uh, um, that will be on our next release. And again, it's included in the price. So um, we've got two or three customers that are already like, yeah, we've been trying to figure out what to do about this problem and you guys are having it. So we'll, we'll beta test it and, and go with it. Well, yeah, that's the other value you bring to the table is, I mean, you're thinking security 24-7 um, and, and how can we kind of evolve our or evolve your offering to, you know, to fit what the market needs. Whereas, uh, you know, most SMEs and startups, they're focused again on their core product or offering. And and how do they, keep, they just don't have the resources to keep up with the current threat landscape or the, the you know, the evolution of different tools in the market to know what, what what's best, what's the best fit for them. So, I, I mean, I just see a huge amount of value. Go ahead. Yeah, the somebody somebody coined it. They said um, somebody told us they were like, you know, it's, you guys are sort of like the Netflix for security. Like, if you go from Blu-ray to high def and high def to 4K, and and there's new movies being released, like it's Netflix's job or your favorite streaming service, whatever, to go get all that stuff, upgrade all the infrastructure, make the changes, add the elasticity. Um, and, and me as a customer, I just pay my 9.99, right? Yeah. And and in a way, we're trying <laughs> to do that. Excellent. Well, hey, Scott, uh, enjoy this conversation. Any uh, last thoughts or things that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, first of all, we're always hiring, uh, even in today's world. So, um, and I tell I tell this to everyone is it's such a great industry. So, if you got, you know, dads, mothers, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, uh, you know, security is a great place to build a career. It's fun. It's exciting. You don't have to be a massive technician. There's sales roles, marketing roles, um, where you need to know a little bit, but you don't have to be, you know, the hacker in the basement. Uh, so I always, I always give that plug um, that just come one, come all. Um, we, 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 you know, we really need more people in the industry. Um, two, obviously, um, Scott at Soul Cyber. If you, if you have questions, SoulCyber.com. Um, and uh, three, you know, we're, we're everybody's sort of in this together. So, um, you know, keep, keep, keep us in the loop. Um, we follow everybody on LinkedIn, but if there's people out there that, that see new and emerging threats or new ways to solve problems, we're all ears and we're always trying to figure out, you know, how do we make sure our customers are, are, you know, secured and, and, and if they're secured, then how do we leverage that into their other pain points in their life, like compliance or cyber insurance, uh, to make that easier. Awesome. Well, hey, Scott, like I said, a great conversation and I wish you and the rest of the Soul Cyber team amazing 2023. Awesome, Mark. Thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.